By now, you've all heard of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0, the latest book published by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. It's more than just another wine book. The fully updated second edition was inspired by students of the Vinitali International Academy and painstakingly reviewed and revised by an expert panel of certified Italian wine ambassadors from across the globe. The book also includes an edition by Professore Attilio Scienza, Italy's leading vine geneticist. The benchmark producer's feature is a particularly important aspect of this revised edition. The selection makes it easier for our readers to get their hands on a bottle of wine that truly represents a particular grape or region. To pick up a copy, just head to Amazon.com or visit us at MamaJumboShrimp.com. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Clubhouse Ambassadors Corner. Tonight, uh, my name is Joy Livingston, and tonight I am standing in for Stevie Kim. It is her birthday today, so happy birthday, Stevie. So today we have Noelle Dorsey interviewing Joy Cull, and I love that. Her name's Joy also. I don't bump into many Joys. Um <laughs> So Ambassador's Corner is where wine lovers, wine professionals get to interview their favorite producers and they get to geek out and to um, essentially ask them anything that they want to ask, network, etc. And uh, it, it's all about uh, the love of wine. So eventually this episode soon will be replayed on the Italian Wine Podcast where it does extremely well. I'm not sure how, what episode is this, like is it 81 or 82? It's the 81st episode, 81. 81. Okay, so yeah, we've been doing this a while. And the reason why is because it's extremely popular. So uh, let's uh, talk to our, our guests, uh, Noelle. Um, I'm just gonna give you a quick intro. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Where, where are you right now? Um, I'm in Boston. Um, yeah, just met, uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, sitting in my uh, little yes, office. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Is it cold right now, or is that a stupid question? I can't. I don't oh know no, it it snowed quite a bit yesterday. It was pretty gross. Oh, I miss snow. I wish it was snow here. <laughs> Does it not um, snow much in Verona? Not at all. I think in um, five, six years, I've seen snow once, and it lasted one evening, and then it melted. So, <laughs> but it's pretty. It's pretty damp. But yeah, okay, so um, I see here uh, you have so many qualifications. So you are um, a seller manager of fine wines and rare spirits at Bonham Skinner Auctions and also a wine educator at Commonwealth Wine School. And uh, you do private tastings there as well. And you're certified sommelier and hold a level four certificate from Boston University's Elizabeth Bishop Wine School. And you're of an Italy Italian wine ambassador since 2022. Um, that's a lot. Uh, <laughs> um, do you mind telling me a little bit about Skinner Auctions? That sounds Bonham Skinner Auctions. Yeah, of course. So Skinner Auctions uh, is a small New England auction house, and they basically do everything. It's, you know, art, jewelry, um, they even have like militaria, but they also focus um on fine wines and rare spirits. And Bonhams, the UK auction house, just purchased us in April. So now we have a little bit more of a further reach, uh, but we are the own, basically Bonhams for North America, essentially. Okay, no, I find that that's fascinating. Okay, I love that world, so I think it's, yeah. it's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like to um, say that you, I'm kind of a wine archivist 
in a way because you yeah. just get access to lots of unique old rare bottles. So it's, it's fun. Yeah, exactly. And you, you must spend a lot of time just like sort of salivating over everything because it's just like, it's so cool like to see like rare stuff and it comes through. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's really fun. <laughs> awesome. Um, so before I introduce Joy, can you tell me why you chose her as your producer today? So I love everything about these wines, honestly. Um, the freshness, simplicity, purity of expression from the varietals and Joy's story. Um, from such a tiny property, these wines make such a huge impact. Um, they're really fun, delicious. They're great with food and extremely versatile. I'm a huge fan of the Rosé Ale, and I also love her Uovo as well, um, which I had some of that yesterday. And as soon as the wines hit Boston, they fly off the shelves. And I think this is a testimony to how many people enjoy Joy's wines. Um, I was introduced to them in 2017, and yeah, they're fantastic. Awesome. And 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 in terms of like the geeky side of things, um, what would you want the audience to take from this conversation uh, if they're sort of wine geeky people? <laughs> well, we're going to talk as, about Radoli, uh, the commune in Lazio, and Lake Bolzena, uh, and its impact on viticulture, uh, natural winemaking ethos and its impact on Gordoli as well, an overview of Lazio's native grapes with a focus on Aliatico, and a quick guide on starting a sustainable vineyard from scratch, if Joy is open to telling us a little bit about that. Awesome. So, uh, Joy, are you there? I'm here. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. A little under the weather. Excuse my cold, but I am good. Oh, oh. happy. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, interesting. You know what? I can't. I, I'm gonna. I'm not even gonna ask questions. I'm gonna just listen and uh, go ahead, Noel. I'm gonna pass you over and and I'm gonna mute myself and then I'm gonna come back at the end just in case there's questions um, and to close up the room. Okay, guys. All right, sounds good. Ciao, Joy. Ciao, Noel. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. I'm excited to have you on. Um, just as a little background to everyone, I was first introduced to the La Villana wines by my colleague, uh, David Mitchell of Mies Wines, and he was one of the first to import, import Joy's wines into the U.S., and he was tasting me on the wines when I was a Psalm, and I got to visit Joy and Gretel Lee in 2017, I guess it was like April. I can't believe that was six years ago. <laughs> so time flies. Yeah, that's incredible. And um, yeah, I, one of the things that really sticks out to me, I kind of chuckled when I was thinking about this visit, was how remote it was and so how hard it was to, to find because we, we drilled from Verona and it was, you know, in the evening and we had to use latitude latitude lines to find it. <laughs> <laughs> and we kept yeah. on like going down the wrong way and... You know, it's a vacation area, so there was a lot of no one home right. <laughs> type of situation, and we eventually had to call you, and you thankfully rescued us. <laughs> but uh, yeah. everybody who comes through here, we're not even like on Google Maps. It's <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, uh, it it makes for an adventure for sure. It's cool. <laughs> uh, so Lana was born in uh, 2016, and. Uh, Three years after Joy Quill leaves her job in New York, and she comes to Italy to uh, intern at La Costa di Grodoli uh, and learn about vineyard farming, and then set up her own winery after a few years, like I said, in 2016. Uh, the company has about 10 hectares, of which about three are planted with native vines um, coming up in the few years. In addition, it has about two hectares of old vines recovered from abandoned uh, and scattered vineyards in the Gradoli countryside. The vines are cultivated using biodynamic methods, respecting the rhythms of nature. And um, yeah, in the cellar, you work with the grapes and that's it. No mm -hmm. attitude. Um, so it's it's such a cool story because you come, you're, you're Swiss American. Yeah. You're from Connecticut, just like me. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> um, so it's just a fascinating story. I love it. Um, can you tell us a bit about your story and how you got started in wine? Yeah. 
Um, yes, yeah. So, you, like you said, I'm Swiss American. My parents moved to Connecticut right when I was born, so in '87. Um, so I was the first American in our family, um, and I kind of followed my father's footsteps and I went to hotel school up at Cornell in Ithaca. Um, and I imagined that I was going to be kind of more in the front of house or in hotels. And after my first year, I was like miserable. <laughs> and, um, I basically, after my first year of college, I didn't have a job and I was looking for something to do. And, and my dad at that point had opened a little wine shop in Connecticut, just kind of like as a hobby. Cause he's also very passionate about wine. And so I basically made him create a job for me there, but I knew nothing about wine. I mean, I was 18, 19 and didn't really have much experience. Sure. Like my parents, they are European and they would give me a glass at dinner, but I didn't actually know anything. And I had to obviously do a, you know, deep dive really quickly to learn enough to kind of sell a few bottles at the shop. And I just fell in love with it over that summer. And I loved learning about it and tasting all these different wines and that kind of started the course for me um, into this section of the hospitality industry. And uh, yeah, I, I did, a, to make it short, but I did a bunch of different jobs in different aspects of the industry and never found anything fulfilling for me. And kind of half joking after I worked for a, a startup in New York at my last job, I said, you know, the only thing I have left to do is actually try and make the wine. And um I thought it was funny that, you know, I was like, I'm just going to go to Italy and make wine. And uh, I, I ended up doing it. But I, I I essentially quit my job and I moved here. And I thought I'd be here for about a year just to kind of really learn because I felt it was the best place to learn about how to properly make wine in the vineyards, not in the cellar. Um, and I ended up falling in love with this place and then falling in love with my husband. And I found no reason to return back to the U.S. And here I am. <laughs> It's a very short story, but uh, it's amazing. Um, the like, fact that you like fell in love with the place and then fell in love with someone there too, and you know, yeah, worked out. Um, so, yeah. how did you end up at La Costa de Gradoli? Had you tried these wines, and had you been to this region before? Or? No, I didn't even know there was a lake in the middle of Lazio at this big. I um, planted myself in Rome. And traveled mostly through Tuscany, but really specifically through Piedmont, because I do also love those wines from that region, um, looking for some place to work. And my contacts from my previous jobs would send me different to different wineries, but it really was the same thing over and over again, which was, I guess, you can come do an internship like in the cellar, specifically like in our laboratory, learning like how to essentially... <laughs> make conventional wines and it just wasn't sitting with me because I was like this isn't how I imagined to learn to make wine just like in the cellar as an enologist I really wanted to have the full experience in the vineyard and specifically a full year in the vineyard like a full agricultural year um, to really see the the process of of how to grow what it is that we're making wine with which are these beautiful grapes and um, I was speaking with a friend of mine who back in New York, he had a few restaurants at the time, Joe Campanelli, and he had suggested this winery and in his eyes, it was just outside of Rome. It's not it's two hours outside of Rome, but I guess for somebody from New York, it seems like it's just outside of Rome. Um, and so I like, I gave it a go. I sent them an email and I said, one of the, I sent hundreds of people's email and I said, I, you know, I would like to do a full year. Is it possible to come, you know, work for you? And, um, they said, yeah. So I, I came up one day and I came and visited and we had a great visit. And two weeks later I left Rome and I came up to Gradoli and that's how I landed at La Coste. <laughs> it didn't really, I had had one of their wines like at a bar at, at one of Joe Company's bars, but it, it didn't like, I thought it was good. I didn't, but it didn't like stick with me. I think I was just so focused on these larger wineries thinking I was going to have like, um, a better experience there, but I was completely wrong. Like I needed something small that really was hands-on and family owned and, and, um, that like would need me in every aspect of the agricultural and winemaking process. So it worked out really well, actually. Yeah. And La Costa de Gradoli is, is natural wine, you know, it's yeah. for anyone who doesn't have these, known these wines there. Yeah. Like I'd say they're, yeah, they're probably one of the pioneers as far as like very, I don't like to use the word extreme, 
because to me it, it should be the norm, but like these very natural, no, no sulfur, no nothing wines and like very respectful in the, in the vineyards. Um, yeah, the, yeah, I guess extreme natural. So people had <laughs> a crash at us. Right, right. And how long were you there? I was there for about 15 months. So I, I went through, I started with a harvest and I did another harvest and then I pruned. So I pruned twice and then I left. I left at the beginning of 2015. So I started in August, 2013. I left at the beginning of 15 and started my own winery. And that first year ah. was, yeah. I had I I thought I would stay longer, honestly. Like, I think you kind of hope that like, there's a place for you there, you know, cause it's, it feels safer. Like if I could just start while I'm still working here, you know, <laughs> um, being very pragmatic about it and it didn't work out. But at that point I was so like tied to this place and I just felt, I knew I didn't want to leave. So the idea of going anywhere else was, seemed like a step backwards in a weird way. So I just threw everything forward. I just, I just went for it. I just started on my own. So I, I only had about, yeah, I didn't have very much experience making wine, to be honest, before I started. Yeah, it does feel like once you got to Gradoli, everything just sort of started to happen at once for you. It did, yeah, for sure. I was reading um, an interview, I can't recall um, where it was, but um, it mentioned that one of your colleagues or friends was going to buy a farmhouse, and that's sort of how you ended up starting your own property? Or yeah. Yeah, um, my business partner was looking to buy property. She is Italian, and she wanted to buy something to like continue her roots and have a place to go. But the idea of buying something, you know, like a vacation house, wasn't really appealing to her because it felt like you know, kind of dead, eight months of the year, um, and with no like life within it. So when I said that I was starting this project, she 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 basically convinced me to to allow her to help me and do this together so that she selfishly in her eyes had a place to stay, like had a place that she could call home that was active and alive. And I mean, she also has a farm in the States. So it was really important for her to um, have a place that was like, I said, alive and cultivating. Um, and so we, yeah, went in on this project together and yeah, she's still my business partner today. That's amazing. Is this the same house that I met you guys in? Yeah, it is. Wow, amazing. <laughs> um, so for some, can you tell us um, just a little bit about Gradoli for someone who's never visited it before? I mean, how would you describe it or and like Lake Bolzana in general? Um, so it's a, it's a small, like medieval town, like most of these small towns, these, mm, we call them Borghi in Italy. Uh, I think as a population, maybe 1,500 people at most, of which majority of them are retired. But it sits on this little hill above Lake Bolsena, which is uh, a rather large. I, would, I don't actually know the size. I, I say it's rather large, and then I remember the lakes in the U.S. are. <laughs> but um, in, it's a lake, essentially, or a volcanic lake. So it's what was left after a bunch of volcanoes around here erupted. So... Um, we have this basin that filled with water and made this lake. Um, and we have all volcanic soils around us. We're on volcanic soils. And we face, like, southeast. Um, so I think we're on the sweet spot of the lake. And, yeah, so we're, like, on this hilltop. We're just a couple kilometers above the lake distance-wise. And we're, where we are specifically is at, at around 600 meters above sea level, just to give you an idea. Um, and... Yeah, it's a, like I said, it's a small town with a lot of agricultural land, a lot. Like, it's mostly agricultural land and forest and tiny, tiny town. Um, but that's kind of like what you see a lot of in Italy anyways. Yeah. When you're standing on the back of Joy's, um, I don't even know if you, it's the front yard or the backyard, <laughs> but it's like gorgeous hill, and you literally on the porch can see Lake Bozena, just like from there, you can have a coffee and it's very, very scenic and beautiful. <laughs> um, so can you tell us about the grapes you're working with um, and where they're sourced and current cuvées? Uh, yeah. I know you work with a lot of like native indigenous Lazio grapes, but. Yeah. So if like 
I, I, I planted only indigenous varietals. I do work with other ones that are not necessarily indigenous as well. This is in the sense that they don't date back as far. They are a huge part of like the evolution of, of the wine industry in the area, but they're not technically indigenous, but yeah, I planted only indigenous varietals. So we have, um, one vineyard is all white varietals. It's mainly what we call Procanico, which is technically Trebbiano Toscano. It's a clone. It is certified as a clone of it. Um, so slightly different. And that's just the evolution that, it, that this grape has had in this specific region over the years. Um, and then we blend that with some Rosetto and Malvasia and then a bunch of other like varietals. There's like, you know, 10 or 15 plants of other varietals mixed in there too. Um, and that makes our white blend. That's, that's at the vineyard behind our house. Um, and that's about a hectare and 2,000 meters. And then so about that. planted in 2015? That was planted, no, that was planted in 20, was it there when you came? They were just little baby, baby. Yeah. You had just planted. I, okay, so it wasn't even grafted yet when you came. I think I just, yeah, like I literally just planted. So 2017 is when that was planted. Um, and since then, we've planted also a hectare of Chile Jolo and Sangiovese, which are also two varietals from this area. They're diffused across all of Italy as well, but... Um, the Sangiovese is called Greghetto. It's a, again a clone that is um, that is only grown around this area. And then we have two small vineyards of, of Moscato, which is again another grape that we that is around here, and Aleatico, which is actually actually native to Gradoli. It's like the one varietal that comes just from Gradoli. Um, and that is yeah. So between those two, it's another half a hectare, I think. I've lost count. It's like a two and a half, three hectares, I think, in total that we've planted. Wow. Um, yeah. And then the old vineyards are very similar. They're mostly Gregetto and Procanico uh, and Aleatico. And how did you discover these old vineyards? Did you just by asking around or? Yeah. Yeah. Mostly by asking around. Um, kind of, it's like a time where many farmers retired and they still have vineyards and that they maintain in their retirement but then also but then maybe they stop drinking wine or they just physically can't take i can't manage these vineyards anymore so but it, it breaks their heart to like to throw them out to cut them down so um they come to like us us young we're like very few but farmers in the area and, and we take them over and maintain and keep them from becoming abandoned essentially that's beautiful yeah. essentially like a co-op in a way of these abandoned vineyards yeah yeah i mean this place was a, a co-op town um we had the our co-op was once the largest co-op in lazio back in like the 80s um so you have to imagine like where all those roads that you drove down and got lost on <laughs> which are mostly forests now were all planted so everything was just vineyards and olive trees oh so, wow. yeah so it's really become it's really abandoned it's hard to imagine because you like you, you see it's mostly forest, um, but the, it was like the largest uh, co-op, and people were bringing grapes from all around the lake and even further, not just Gradoli. And um, but like many co-ops do, they unfortunately you know burned through all their cash and stopped paying their farmers, so the farmers stopped bringing them grapes, and then out of spite, they cut their vineyards down and the co-op shut down and the generation after them left and went to Rome and that kind of is kind of how like the agriculture died in this area. Um, and then the few that did stay and did continue maintaining the vineyards are now in their eighties. So we're slowly taking over these tiny little parcels, parcels that are left over to wow. keep them from drying up. Yeah. Yeah. Are you enjoying this podcast? There's so much more high-quality wine content available from Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Check out our new wine study maps, our books on Italian wine, including Italian Wine Unplugged, The Jumbo Shrimp Guide to Italian Wine, Sangiovese Lambrusco and other stories, and much, much more on our website, mamajumboshrimp.com. Now back to the show. I'm particularly curious, so you mentioned... um, 
this grape bruschetta, which is a white grape, um, which I've never heard of. And the Via community, we just put out this book of all these, you know, you know, native grapes, but there's so many, it's so hard to keep track. Um, so I've never had it. What's, what is it like? So Rosetto is one of the three varietals that is recognized in Montefiascone's Est, 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 which is a DOC, like, the only really famous DOC around here. Um, and it makes, um, they they kind of look similar to Procanico in the sense that they're these like elongated um, um, grapes that are clusters that are tight, like p- a little bit pink in color when they're ripe. They're beautiful. Um, and yeah, it's kind of, it's mostly just known as like a blending varietal on its own. It does have a pretty distinct aroma. It's not an aromatic wine, but it has a very distinct flavor that personally on its own, I think is a little bit musky almost in a weird way. But so I, you've never seen it actually on its own. Usually Uh, maybe somebody will start to experiment it with now, with it now, but, um, for this reason and, it's what makes it a good blending varietal. It just kind of blends better with the Malvasia and the Trebbiano together. Do you but, feel yeah. like it adds like texture or? Like- yeah, I think it comes from the skins, to be honest, because they are smaller grapes. So the skin to juice ratio is higher, but it's not like a very complex skin, in my opinion. So like you're not getting very interesting tannins from it or something. You're extracting. It's kind of, yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's a little bit must. I don't know how else to explain it. It's kind of weird, right. But. Well, I've only I've had it as a blend, but um, right. I'm super curious about if you isolated it, what it would be like. Um, I I've never isolated it. I have made wine with it where there was like more of it in there, and I've definitely noticed it. And it wasn't necessarily something that I would pl- play around. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was another one I was reading about too. Patino. Yeah. Pitino, yeah. My the guy who grafts my vines does not know anything about this varietal, <laughs> but he has this little like trial vineyard where he planted um, and grafted all of these old varietals that no one really uses anymore. Pitino is one of them. There's another one called Uva delle Vecchie. Um, blanking on the other ones. There's there's a bunch. And uh, when I went to go choose the buds with him to because I said I wanted to have some like random selection of, of old varietals. It was like, right. It was during, it was in September, right before he was picking. So I was able to taste the grapes and this one just seemed the most interesting to me. Um, it's still like, I, I, I have a feeling these all are descendants somehow of Trebbiano or okay. like they all are, they're very similar, but it's also granted the soils were on and none of them are specifically semi aromatic or aromatic. So, um, at this point you're like looking okay how large are the grapes like versus the cluster like what's the skin to juice ratio like am i getting anything else out of this other than just like juice and green skins kind of thing um and this one just to me seemed the most interesting it had this beautiful yellow color and um like a really bright acidity even though we were in like mid september so we grafted some of that on. What we've realized since we've grafted it is that it doesn't produce, like if there's a few varietals that have this issue, they don't produce their grapes on the first few buds. And the vineyards that we pruned, that we grafted them onto are being pruned as alberello, so they're being pruned as spur pruned. Um, and so each producing cane, <laughs> or each producing spur that we leave that, that makes two canes doesn't produce fruit. So we're now switching it to, this is really in-depth. No, no, get as nerdy as you can. We we love that. We're now going to trial it and switch it to like um, a cane pruned, or what we call guillot in French, a cane pruned uh, vine. So we'll leave two spurs and the third spur that normally would have been a spur, we're going to actually pull it out as a cane and hopefully get more fruit on that. So we'll see. I, I I haven't really had it since I tasted it when I before we grafted it, which is crazy to me. So, yeah, wow. Not, yeah, these are the trials that we have when <laughs> we just try different stuff. That's cool. Right, right. It's, That's yeah. and this is a white or a red varietal. It's white. Yeah, it's white. white. Okay. Yeah. So interesting. Uh, and when is harvest? I mean, do you sometimes pick as a field blend, or do you pick, you know? 
each yeah. grape separately and then ferment? Uh, so this one is, this vineyard, as of now, it's not fully in production, is partially field blend and partially, so we kind of go through one part of the vineyard that is um, that is wire trained. <coughs> Excuse me. There's wire trained that we go through, and if there's like a heavy production, then we'll take some out and we'll add that into our, our simple white wine. And then the rest all gets blended together and actually goes into the uovo, the Bianco uovo at the moment. Um which I think you've had before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's delicious. I yeah. just had it the other day. So. so yeah, that becomes a field blend. And it's kind of cool because I know I'm like, I just grafted a bunch yesterday that um, didn't take, or we replanted some of the rootstock and I just grafted them and kind of just picked randomly. So I don't know what I put on there. So it's like an ever evolving field blend, which is kind of cool. <laughs> That's cool. So it's like different year to year, essentially. Yeah, I never drastically, but. Uh, but yeah. And with the Awova, I mean, this, I know you do a lot in fiberglass, but mm-hmm. it's like a new, I guess I don't know how old the Awova project is, or do you have a cement egg you're working with now, or do you rent this egg, or how does that work? <laughs> I have, I now have three eggs. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, they are, they're made from this company in France, and they are raw cement. So they're not uh, lined with fiberglass on the inside, which is normally like, I guess that's what it's called in English. Yeah. Normally they're lined on the inside to kind of make it easier to clean, but being raw without having this lining means that they're porous. So they breathe the same wine do when they're in barrel, um, which is what, which is why I was really interested in these, in these vessels. Um, so I, I, the wines are able to age and have this micro oxygenation going on for like a year before they go into bottle, which I think makes them a lot more complex. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, I love I love the texture of the Uovo. It's really it's lovely. lovely. Yeah, it's definitely the future of the winery. I think I will once I have more space get more eggs. That's for oh, sure. Cool. Yeah. And is it the same space or have you also expanded a little bit? Uh, I have expanded and that was like sixty square meters, which I don't know what that is in square feet, but Tiny, tiny little room is where you saw it, what you saw, right? Yeah. Um, and now we we just moved to the town over where we got a, a larger garage. Um, and we'll be there probably for another year because we purchased a old, like, rundown building that we're going to re- rebuild into the official winery, which is really exciting. And then I'll have, like, actual proper space. Yeah. Yeah. And... Your husband is a shepherd, and he makes his own cheeses and like charcuterie, right? So that's such a yeah. Life. Yeah. Much. Uh, um, I, so I was also wondering, um, you chose to do carbonic fermentation for the Aliatico. Yeah. Um, and I was curious, you know, your thought process, and I guess mostly, like, how would it affect the aromatics for Aliatico, since it's usually such a fragrant variety or if you even think it does affect it i think if anything it probably like brings out the aromas even more um because you're getting this maceration that is not um skin focused so when you like have these carbonic macerations these grapes are going in whole cluster and they're not there's not a lot of crushed grapes in there there are some on the bottom of course because of the weight of all the grapes but each instead each grape ferments individually inside its own skins um so there's not a lot of like yeah exchange between the skins and the juice and i think it kind of brings out the aromas more without adding too much of this like tannic structure to to the wine and that's actually why i like it for the muscat and the and the aliatico so it gives it stability it still is getting some of this tannin um but not too much i think too much would make it a little bit aggressive for something. It's a it's a delicate varietal in all senses, even in the vineyard. But um, yeah, it's very floral and doesn't need to have a, a huge structure behind it. But obviously, to make it more stable, it needs to have some kind of skin contact. So yeah, yeah, that's why I chose it. And the region was is mostly well known for the sweet Aliatico. Yeah, originally. Yeah, yeah, they would make a sweet varietal um sweet wine mostly because they would pick in october so they had a lot of sugars going on in there and then they would 
uh, rack their wines in the beginning of December, no matter what. Um, and obviously, like if you pick at the end of October and it's really now it's really cold, the wines are not finished fermenting by that point. So they rack these unfinished wines down into the cellar and they stop fermenting. And so they're left with like these sweet wines, which actually have a pretty high alcohol too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a, a wine that I was reading about that I'm so sad I didn't get to try, um, which I think it was mixed. Was it oh, called? yeah. I'm, it's, I'm coming out with it this year again. Oh, you are? Yeah, it's um, fun wine. It's, like, it's very different every year when I make it. It's kind of like a, um, it's usually a blend of red and white wine. And I do a lot of like trials and things and like try different stuff in different ways. And if I don't like the way they are in their pure, in like their purest form, then I'll mix it with something else, usually white. So it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like, I mean, like it's, this isn't selling it, but it's kind of like the garbage bin in the sense that like everything gets thrown in there together when I don't know what to do with it. But it always turns out super, super fun like has a high acidity it's got a structure because there's a red in, in the blend in it and it's like the most no fuss like no pretense wine i wow. think yeah yeah because it's, it's like a but it passes through the muscle valley to go I, I i had done that one one year i did yeah that's the one is that the one you didn't get to try is what you're yeah. saying yeah it did one, yeah it did once have a white go through at the must of the aliatico should do that again. That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Now, whenever there is, like, I, th- those are my two most fun projects. One, like, I think, like, one is doing the mix because you never know how it turns out. And two is I, I now make, like, a, a wine cider blend for my harvesters every year. So, like, the harvesters make it, and then the harvesters the following year get to drink it. And it's just, like, all the fruit we can find, like, harvest, you know, forage for it, mixed with grapes. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. That sounds uh, refreshing. It could, it, it's I mean, <laughs> yeah. Was, bought, was it from, like? um, this year, we call it Tutti Frutti, which I think is <laughs> the first name. Um, and this year, there's apples and pears and prickly pears in it, and Aliatico and Moscato. So it's got like a lot of aroma going on, but it's not like, it's not, it's just fun. It just smells like fresh fruit. All the fruit, all the fruit. It's like the Starburst. Um, and yeah, and we had it re-ferment in the bottle and it's like, so yeah, it's a, it's a rosé. It's, it's so, it's really yummy. It's oh, that's good. cool. Yeah. It's only, we have to come visit again if you want to taste it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, do yeah. you feel like, I mean, it does seem like Rodoli is, going towards more of the way of like innovation and like experimentation. I mean, that's what it sounds like with these wines that you're making here. I mean, is there other producers in the area besides the Coste that are kind of more on the natural wine spectrum as well? Like, Uh, well, we have um, Andrea Occhipinti is also one. Uh And then um, those are like, he has to start at the same time as La Coste, actually. Um, but we're the only three in town, like in, in Gradley. But there's, I don't know, I, I can think of five off the top of my head that are around, like, we'll say that I make natural wine now. So I think it's definitely um, coming back and popping up, considering there aren't very many wineries in total. So to think that already, like, five or six of them are all natural wineries is pretty impressive. But yeah, there's definitely a resurgence in the area. That's cool. And do you feel like, like what has been the reception in Gradoli um, for this type of style? Are, pe- are the people mostly into it? Have you felt like there's a backlash at all? Or I think it depends on the age of the people because the um, I'd say like the people that I rent from, they love my wine. Like that, that age, so they're all in their 80s, like mid 80s. And then there's like the ones who have like just retired and they're here so they're in like between 60 and 80 and they're 1670 i'd say and they taste my wine they're like uh it's not clear what is this stuff it like this tastes like the wine my dad made you know because <laughs> they kind of grew up in the in the era of like oh like you you have to add sulfites and doesn't matter how much just like you know shake some in there like you know really not like where they were taught to add chemicals and things to it to to adjust the wine but not how 
So, um, but they're like, you know, and the era of like the wine has to be really clear. Like, you know, you know, you're a song. Like when you have, like look at the glass, like it has to be a certain clarity. I don't know. And so they, they like teased me for that. Um, and then there's like the younger generations that are my age that are, they don't necessarily know much about natural wine here, but they're very curious and eager to learn. So it's like fun to do little tastings with them at the local bars just to like, you know, to have them taste something different. But yeah, no, there's, I think there's definitely a resurgence and definitely um, a market for it. I mean, working in wine shops, people are asking all the time for natural wine. Yeah. Or biodynamic wine. So um, yeah. Yeah. Keep our catching on for sure. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. I mean, you know, it's like, hopefully that won't, it's not just a fad. People really understand, like, the winemaking behind it and, and the agriculture behind it. Um, and maybe eventually we'll find, like, it's, I, I don't know, I think, I don't think natural, the term natural is going anywhere, but maybe we'll find something that's a little bit more, I don't know. Have you, <laughs> some of the um, 2015, 2016 wines and, like, have tasted some of them, like, have, you know, to see how ageable they are, or <clears throat> is that uh, something you're working on with, like, with the um, wolves and things like that? The wolves are more the age. The the ones that I made in 2016, and we're not 15. There's nothing left, but because we drank it at my wedding. But it's 16, <laughs> yeah, 17. I, I I had some the other day actually, and um, I was very surprised. <laughs> they're not intended to be aging, but um, the the reds especially, they taste really really good right now um and i was actually really surprised by the white i did not think that that would hold up and it did um oh cool so, yeah it's a nice surprise i'm gonna have to like get some and like stow it away and see check it yeah. out yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so there was one more question i had about the grapes you had found like 500 kilograms of viognier yeah well i found this guy in Farnese. it's like 20 minutes from me um, who had planted back in like the nineties, uh, two hectares, one of Viognier and one of Vermentino. And he's like about ready to rip them out because the co-op in, in Pitigliano, which is in Tuscany, stopped, was like get paying him pennies, literally pennies for his grapes when they were like, the reason he planted them was because they said that this is like the future of their part of the Marema, like the lower, the Southern Tuscany area where these two varietals blended together. Um, and yeah, so two years ago, I trialed just some of just a few hundred kilos of Viognier to see, like you know, and it's not like as it's a grape, it's not native to here, but um, what it was like on these soils, and I loved it. And actually, this year I took all of it, um, and I'm excited to share that with you guys. But Ooh, awesome, yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's one of those. That's the thing. I think it was one of those things where at first I was like a little hesitant because it isn't native to here, but it does have a big part of the story maybe a little bit more so with Tuscany I mean we're like seven kilometers from from Tuscany 15 minutes from Pitigliano but um it's it's crazy to me that somebody can be like this is the wine that we should be making and then farmers go and plant hectares of these great varietals that they know nothing about because somebody told them and then they're like now what do I do <laughs> you know like change landscapes like that in a second it's it's crazy without much thought but yeah so I was excited to like prevent somebody from ripping out vines regardless of what the varietals are. You know, I think that's also important. So I love the Inya too, so that would be Yeah. 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 I can imagine it um on volcanic soil being quite delicious. So it is great, yeah. Yeah. Um so one thing that people it always strikes people is um how beautiful your bottles are. And um mm. curious the story like behind the name Vilana and um your awesome labels. I know. I think you said you, one of your friends designed them. Well, I've changed them. I don't know if you've seen them recently. They. I, I, yeah, I wasn't sure if he was still doing. No. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. So um, we went a different direction with the labels. Not because I loved them. They were really fun and whimsical. But that was kind of the thing. Like they were very, very fun and whimsical. And I kind of felt like I was getting into a little part of my life that was not necessarily serious, but just a little bit more permanent and not as like, you know. I don't know, fan fantasy-ish in yeah. a way. Like, um, and and so I wanted something that was a, that was still fun, but a little bit more 
yeah, fun but serious kind of mix. And that's why I went to this direction with the labels. And the guy who makes the labels is this German man. He lives in, in the Maremma and he prints them on like linoleum. So they're um, made by hand and then we and then we scan them and make it make it digital. But I think he did a really great job with them. But yeah, the name La Villana Il Villano is actually like kind of a slang term for farmers here. Um, like crop farmers. Um, so and also people who had vineyards and um it was kind of a derogatory term that shepherds used because shepherds and and farmers <coughs> had um a lot of like discourse between them over the like in the past over land and who has what rights and all this stuff. So there wasn't really much symbiosis there. And um, when I came along, I, my husband's a shepherd, obviously. Um, and I learned about this term. I just thought it was funny because I ended up marrying a shepherd and his sheep grazed the grass in my vineyard. So it just seemed appropriate in that sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like you are like La Vilana. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love that. So cool. Yeah. Um, so I want to leave a little space for anyone for, for Q&A and whatnot. Um, but this, thank you so much for me joining us today and talking about You're these. Um, I've, I've had a huge crush on these wines for a long time. And so it's <laughs> fun to be able to <laughs> like. Thank you. Yeah. How often do you get to the, do you get to the U.S. to. Do you ever, usually? Well, you know, it's like when I first moved here, I, I think I was like, oh, I'll go back, you know, once a year. But now that I sell wines all over the world, there's so many other places that I want to go and, you know, see how my wines are doing in that market. So yeah. I don't think I'm back anytime soon, but I was back there. I was back on the West Coast in April. Where else uh, in the world are wines being sold? Uh, so at the moment, they're in the U.S., Canada, Mexico, and then Australia, Japan. Um and all of Europe essentially. Wow! And um, no more. There's not. There's not a lot of wine, so they sell out. Yeah. Yeah. Like whoa! But you, um, yeah. Now you're fully with Louis Dresner, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had to do a little bit of streamlining, unfortunately, a little bit bittersweet, but um, because David, who's amazing, I I really adore him. Um, was like one of my first cheerleaders, so. Um, but yeah, I, I, it was getting too complicated to have more than one person in the U.S. So, so yeah, I hope you'll get to have the wines still. If not, then yeah, I will. I, I was checking, and I'm, they're definitely still going to be available in the Boston market. So, yeah, I made sure. I was like, you can't. I was like, I'm going to give this you. That means you have to still sell it in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So I'm going to now leave it open for Q and A. Um. And if Joy wants to ask any questions at all, and I do, and you're going to have to excuse the terrible karaoke oh, in the background. Yes, it's Stevie's birthday party, and there's she requested karaoke, so we have people singing The Little Mermaid, and it is killing me, but they look happy. <laughs> oh dear. Okay, so I do have a question because I, I don't see any questions in the thing, but uh, there might be questions later. And usually, what happens is if somebody has a question, I always ask people to email me at info at italianwinepodcast.com and then I will forward you the questions. But uh, that usually happens after it's aired on the Italian Wine Podcast. So um, my question is, you said your, your husband is a chef, um, and you're talking about sheep's cheese. Um, do you have any specific pairings or things that you absolutely, like your favorite go-to meal that your husband prepares with his cheese and then pair it with the wine that you have? Or? Um, you know, I think in general, as drinking local, Everything really goes well together. I think that this, especially here, but these volcanic soils are so expressive in everything. Like I, 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 I taste it in his cheeses, and I taste it in the wines, um, and I taste it in the potatoes that are grown around here. And um, so I think it's just I just think as long as I'm having like stuff made here with fruits and vegetables and cheeses and everything from this area, then it all goes together. It sounds kind of weird, but I really. Yeah. 
Yeah, like- I, actually, I have a, a, a random question. Okay, this is going to sound very strange, so yeah. please forgive me. But when you say volcanic tasting, like fruits and vegetables and potatoes that have sort of the, the flavor of that area. Like, can you describe it to me? Because I've never tasted anything uh, from that area. So I'm just interested in like when you put it in your mouth and you're tasting it, like, what are you tasting? Well, it, it, it depends on what it is. Like it's obviously maybe a little bit more obvious in the wines, which are very mineral and direct and like don't have a lot of round, like cooked fruit taste in them. Um, but volcanic soils in general are actually really fertile. So I think it just makes for produce that's like a really flavorful. Um, and yeah. And the, and the cheeses, like essentially, uh, it has to do more with like the soils and the grasses that they're eating that are growing on these soils. So it's like, it's a long, it's a huge pass. It's like cheese that comes from milk and it comes through sheep that ate this grass that was grown on this volcanic soil. Um, but the grasses that we sow and the, that they graze on is the major influence in their cheeses. Um, and I just like, I don't, I just think that it's a lot more flavorful and just like, yeah, and aromatic in a way. It's not like I specifically taste volcanic. I just think that these soils are a lot more fertile in that sense. Um, not in the sense of like clay soils, which are like, you know, holds a lot of water. So you get a lot of production and abundance but that doesn't really taste like much a lot of the time so yeah that to me is kind of the difference if that makes sense yeah it it does actually i'm just i really want to taste it now (laughs) if that makes sense but it makes it sound so good um well i guess uh it is time to close up the room i also feel like the little mermaid is overtaking (laughs) This clubhouse. (laughs) Oh my god! That's Stevie singing in the bathroom. Uh, You know what? It actually it could be. Oh god! It could be. (laughs) Oh dear me! All right, guys. I wish you both all the best. Um, Laika, before we we kick off, can you please um, let me know what our next clubhouse is going to be? And then she will be interviewing Hilde and Francesca Petrusa of Vigna Petrusa. So that's it. Uh, It's going to be on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, Noelle, Joy, it was a really cool conversation. I appreciate it so much. And uh, this is going to air on the Italian Wine Podcast. I will let you guys know when. And I wish you guys a fantastic evening. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a good night, everyone. You as well. Thanks, Joy. Take care. Bye now. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time. Chi-chi.